So I'd like to offer a few reflections tonight about the theme of dispassion and why it is so highly praised in the teachings and how we might think about it and practice it and learn to trust uh, that there is a dispassion that can hold our passion. A dispassion in which there is enough room for all of the productions of the mind that pass through to be held without us completely investing in them or seizing upon them as an absolute truth neither pushing away and that something in learning that skill we can start to taste more freedom and the Buddha speaks a lot about this as I understand it so I want to start with a passage from the teachings the uh, body of teachings that has come down to us and known as the canon right it's a canon canonical teachings from the language of Pali Pali canon and there's a passage in there that apparently appears 90 times uh, so it's kind of underlined I guess in that regard it's not just a one-off little offering it's a often repeated one and it goes like this and I just want you to hear the words in English the English translation always of course they're words and words are just a way of trying to limit and sort of limit what's unlimited what can be pointed to but 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 what we can actually potentially intuit and then know directly for ourselves realize for ourselves so just hear how these words land tonight in English goes through these stages seclusion dispassion cessation surrender seclusion see if you can breathe as they're not usually, they're not kind of really fun words, <laughs> right? But, but this is a really important part of the teaching. Seclusion, dispassion, cessation, meaning stop, stopping, ending. And then the last word can be translated as surrender or yielding to freedom. So let's just get a sense from you of how those words may or may not resonate with you. Let's just take the one dispassion, because that's one of the big themes of our retreat, passion and dispassion. If I say that word in English, in Pali, it's the word viraga. Viraga, which uh, I'll say a little bit more about in a moment, but let's just hear it in English first. What happens to your mind, to your body, to your heart, to your flesh as you hear that word? Dispassion. And then I put it in context. Seclusion, dispassion, cessation, yielding to freedom. Any comments on the word dispassion, anyone? You don't have to like it, <laughs> but you might. Any responses to the vocab? Yeah. I don't really understand it. Okay, great. Thank you. That's good. Right. It's not. It's not commonly used. No, I think I've just got used to it. Dis. Dispassion. <laughs> right. Hey, what about my passion? Right. What about my passion? 
Great. So hopefully, thank you. So hopefully it will get a little clearer tonight. Yeah. Any other responses, Kate? It has a good resonance for you. And she pointed, she gestured here. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. kind of good is it as a resonance? Not being overwhelmed. It has that sense and resonance for you, yeah. Thank you. I think that's what it's pointing to. Any th- any other resonances, thoughts, comments? I think it, it seems um, bland and flat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's that beige Buddhism. Yeah. <laughs> Potentially that sort of paling out into flatness or blandness. Yeah. There was another one over here. It's used in science. Ah, yeah, thank you. Foidreux, like coldness. Yeah, thank you. So that's, that's a good thing to, for me to pick up as well. So yeah, we can use that dispassion as if it means, you know, how we've come to learn it in the scientific modern world, that we kind of step back far enough from something that we're not involved with it anymore. It's come to mean that, and I want to really clarify a little bit uh, where that may be different. But thank you for bringing that. Yeah, it can have that, what was that word? Froidieu, like coldness, some kind of cooling out. Yeah. So I think what I'll try and point to, or we'll try and point to, is a dispassion that is indeed... Uh, it does include a standing and getting perspective, absolutely, but it is not a loss of resonance. It's not a loss of intimacy. It's not a loss of life or um, love in this. So the word is translated from viraga, and raga, so I don't know an awful lot, but in Indian music, raga is the, uh, the word that's used like for the mood of the music. Or the, um, and, but traditionally it meant red, like the color, the mood that was red, the red mood. Um, and viraga is uh, literally translated as the fading of that redness in the quality of uh, the mood. I want to clarify that a little bit more. So firstly, I want to pick up the response, but doesn't sound very good to some of us. It's like, what about my passion? I like my passion. My passion gets me places. It, 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 it moves in the world. It gets things done. It reaches out. It, it achieves things. It, uh, yeah, where would I be without my passion? And uh, I think it's important to discriminate uh, the word passion a little bit from the aliveness, vitality, um, uh, yeah, from our vitality and aliveness where we can come into the world like a little one, you know, as little ones, if they're doing well, small little humans, you know, at times once they sort of, at different times, imagine them, they get up onto their feet and start to explore the world and there's a lot of vitality and life force there and a lot of interest and exploration and wanting to happen. I don't think it's an absence of this vitality and interest, not at all. In fact, the factors that point to awakening include a lot of interest, investigation, um, include a life force, a dedication and a devotion and an orientation that's very passionate. As uh, Suvacha was telling us yesterday, that inside that apparently kind of austere renunciate tradition, there's a lot of passion going on, a clear devotion, which takes energy and uh, life force. To discriminate that from the passions, where that energy of ours, that life force, that vitality, that aliveness, can sometimes get captured snagged, tightened around in such a way that <clears throat> it can become, we could say, the strong emotions or the strong uh, forces of anger, of, of rage, of lust, of 
uh, all the kind of hot ones, right? The red ones, <laughs> the red ones. And, in, and I'm also going to include it to mean the way that that life force that arises in us in the service of life, we could say, like the little one, the little child who kind of, you know, they're doing well, they start toddling around, they want to explore, they want to find out how things work. They want to find out what this is all about, this that they've suddenly come into. Right? It's quite natural. You see that like small toddling one get up on the little step to the kitchen tap if they can bear if they can reach it all and just like turn it on. There's passion in that, there's investigation in that. But that life force of ours can get seized upon closed down around, tightened around in the strong emotions and in the ones that may not be so strong but may be nonetheless a way we have seized hold of something and we are have a conviction, an absolute faith, an absolute devotion that what my mind has grasped around right now is true. Have any of you done that today? A thought arises, a feeling arises, a sensation arises, a mood arises, a memory arises. And that is as it is. As we sit, these things will arise for us. But then what happens is there is a seizing around it before we know it, like a gut reflex. It's like, oops! I don't want that thought, right? And then we're afraid. Have any of you ever been afraid of any thoughts that come through the mind? Yeah. It's like, oh no, not that one. And we seize around it as if it was saying something about me, as if it was defining me, as if it was an absolute truth. And in a way, the energy of our devotion, of our interest, of our investigation, of our life force starts to get devoted. We don't feel devoted, but we're giving it all our attention. It's like it's become that thought, and my reaction to that thought has become my place of worship. I'm giving my sacred attention to that as if it was the absolute truth. And when I do that, what's it like when we do that? We do it with a mood. Let's say a mood arises. Let's say it's not even a very red mood. Let's say it's boredom. Anybody been bored yet? <laughs> at any point, right? Let's say it's boredom. There's a, just a kind of loss of resonance and a dullness and I'm a little bored. And then it's like, oh no, I don't like being bored. I don't like being bored. I seize around it and I want to get rid of the boredom. Or I want to go do something else. And then I start investing my juice Ah, oh, when the sitting's over, I'm going to go and have a cup of barley cup. You know, it's like really exciting. You know, at least it's better than this boredom. And we start investing our life juice somewhere that's not here, that's in the future. Either way, we start to feel dissatisfied at best we start to see that we're kind of being spun around by our mind that doesn't feel good. And if we investigate into the heart, we feel, well, check it out for yourself. I notice that in those moments when I have seized upon the mood as being who I am or something I do not want, I come away from the ground. I seize myself, I steal myself. You know that expression in English, it's a great expression. 
I steal myself away from my deepest nature, from my connection with ground, from the vast, open, awake refuge that can hold what arises without believing it is who I am in any ultimate sense. This is the beginning of dispassion, starting to recognize. So when Suva Cho spoke today about um, the constancy I'm sure you have had or soon will have moments where you can rest back in the awareness and recognize, oh, there's a thought. Oh, here's a pattern, here's a habit. Wow, I've been around that one a few times that which recognizes the thought is not lost in the thought. Sometimes it's a cry of our heart, our, you know, there may be a resonance of sorrow or fear or desperation or hate or jealousy. I could go on, (laughs) endless different colors the mind can come up with. And at times we will know that that which can hear that cry of desperation, that can resonate with it without seizing upon it, without investing my passion as if this was the absolute truth about me. I am desperate. I've always been desperate. Oh my God, I'm even more desperate now. I'm at Gaia House. It was bad enough before I came and now it's terrible. And then before we know it, I've seized all my life energy, all that beautiful investigation, that interest and passion in life that as little ones we to some extent will have known even if it got shut down somewhere along the line that that has gotten seized into being devoted to a very small altar a very small shrine but that which hears the cry can resonate with the cry, can breathe with the cry, is not defined by the cry. This is an aspect of dispassion. Think of a I have some this image, I don't know why, it really touches my heart, actually. I was introduced to a song um, last year. My dear, beloved mother died um, in August last year. And um, she was my mother, but she was other people's grandmother. <laughs> and uh, I could say lots about my, my mum. It wasn't actually what I planned to say. What I was going to tell you was that Uh, After the funeral, one of my niece's partners, he said, do you know um, the song by Bill Withers? Bill Withers, who sung Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone. Bill Withers had a song, which I didn't know, actually, called Grandma's Hands. You can... Maybe I'll teach it to you tomorrow. (laughs) It's really beautiful. But he talks about his relationship with his grandma and her hands, actually. You know, he was at that age where he's, where he's, um, the song is written as a man, but he's reporting when he's little somewhere. So it was her hands that he was at the same height as, probably. 
and they were old and had done a lot and they, you know, he tells you all the things that his grandma's hands did. But some, somehow the way he described her, Bill Withers' grandma, whether it's accurate or not, I don't know, but the love he shares in that song for his grandma. I never, I never knew a grandma, I never had a grandma that was alive and I, I don't know that, that resonance formally so I learn it from Bill Withers a little bit the, the uh, grandma archetype in a sense but there's something about her that presents an image of another aspect of this dispassion right imagine a grandma might be his grandma might be an archetypal grandma an old, old person who has seen everything this life. They've seen it all. But they haven't got bitter. They haven't shut down. But their eyes, their gaze, their heart, their hands has held beings in birth and held beings in death. They have picked up their children in praise and wonder and they have seen their children fall. And I don't just mean when you're seven, right? They've seen their children tumble and fall in the world in different ways. She has seen great joy and she has seen great sorrow. She has been praised and she has been blamed. And no longer is she spun around by that. She has known pain and she has known great pleasure. And she remains open. Imagine that quality where all of those life lessons and all of those winds of the world which blow f for everyone, whoever you are, the failure, the success, <sighs> the people who love you, the people who ignore you, the people who really don't like you at all. Same for the Buddha. doesn't mean he's universally liked. He wasn't. But the heart has grown wise. And that grandma, whoever it might be for you, if there's any image or maybe you know someone like that, maybe it's you sometimes. The dispassionate grandma, she's full of love. But that love, that passion of her love doesn't spin her into, oh good, this time, this time it's going to be all right for him. This time. I'm breathing with you. I'm really intimate with you. But I know the world of coming and going. And this kind of dispassion, maybe you can get a sense of the fortitude of it, the, the strength of it, the, um, the magnificence, because there's a place of safety for our heart. We may never have known that, or we may not consciously ever remember that, or it may not be some we never may have never had such a one and nobody's perfect I'm sure Bill Withers grandma you know it's not about making idealized people but it is about recognizing aspects of our deepest nature that are allowed to mature as we stay with the worldly winds and boy do we stay with them on a retreat because it's not like you have to wait for big events. They're happening. <laughs> They're happening here. Right? What have you 
where have you where where has your passion been invested today that you could really have been supported by a little this passion <laughs> right, and really mundane things here because here's where we can practice with it because We need to practice this. This mind takes this this chitta, which can be developed. Chitta is this beautiful word for this heart mind. This this sensitive, um, alive, resonating. I want to say soul. It's really. which we which can be developed and which can be free which can be free <laughs> I, I have a confession my passion got invested today somewhere that if I knew it was my last day on earth I probably wouldn't have invested my passion <laughs> and it has I honestly haven't seen this for a while it happens a lot in the beginning of my practice and uh, somehow it was like oh that's interesting that's arising today we were sitting here I think Suva Cho was leading the sitting and it's like oh, must be time for the bell to ring now <laughs> it's like come on right and and there was this 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 set of thoughts it's like oh gosh I didn't see them right away it's like come on sorry. when the bell's gone then I can go and do this other thing I was going to go and do right and then you know and anyone have that with the bell at all at any point and then whoever which one of us is ever sort of in charge you know this supreme supreme authority here with the stick uh, all kinds of things can happen in the mind around it. Um, you know, is he asleep? Is he has he forgotten about us? Is he being extra cruel? Is he is he? If I ruled the world, if I was sitting up there, I would be a much more egalitarian. I'd let everyone have a go ringing the bell. I, and and then and then we're in a whole how if we were and how it should be and but. Okay, so there's my passion invested in a story. I'm gone. And if, if, if I notice I've gone, it's usually a little bit hard. We're usually a little reluctant to come back initially because there's a kind of a letdown in coming back. I've built this whole thing. He shouldn't be allowed and I'm going to write to Guy House. And anyway, wasn't it supposed to be 30 minutes? And now... <laughs> oh, wow. I've invested in this altar up here. Is this where I want to invest my... Devotion? Yeah, but I'm right. Okay. As one of my teachers said, would you rather be right or free? <laughs> I'd rather be right. right. Until you're so sick of being right and so see that the, the, the righteous one is, is it kind of pulled up. It's Again, it's a seizing of my passion into me me and as soon as it's me who's right me who's uh, me who's doing all of this me who's bored me who's desperate my sorrow my fear then in that moment we have seized ourselves we've stolen ourselves from belonging to the nature of everything I've stolen myself. I've, in a sense, broken the second precept. You know, taken what hasn't been offered. I've stolen myself. I've shrunk from a vast and beautiful awakefulness. <laughs> to coming down, we, we, some of us won't come down without a fight. Ah, no. And if we can see and come back to feel our sensations on the backside, feel our feet touching, and then we hear those other moans in the mind, 
how's feeling my bum going to help anything? Any of, you, any of you have that thought? Oh, how's this going to... Right, and there's sometimes these kind of... For some, some of us go down quietly <laughs> at times. Some structures, and it's not us, because we're different in each one of these little places we've invested. Sometimes we go down kicking and screaming, and going down, even though it f- doesn't feel good at the time, there's a... Coming to earth, coming to the space around me, coming to the grandma's hands, coming to that which sees, that which knows, coming to that which hears. In that there is a fading, a viraga, a fading of the investment of my passion at an altar that is small and limited is not ennobling. This is not about not taking care. Those things that arise, we want to care for those, but we can care for what arises, not by seizing on it, but by offering ourselves back to a bigger picture, to an earthier picture, to a wiser picture. Something fades and at times we will see that something ceases. Something ceases. That shape can cease. We let it cease. And teachings say, practice this, know this, acknowledge actually that all things cease. Cease. Can we get a taste? for the ease that if we are allowed to practice dispassion and letting something come to rest, where we're not having to keep propping it up or investing in that. This is for our welfare. And we get more and more of a taste for that peace that's possible. So you might notice it in your meditation at times where nothing much is going on. And sometimes there can be just this, oh, not much is going on. And some, I don't know if any of you have seen this, sometimes we can see our mind searching around for something to get, get our teeth into. <laughs> oh, but it's kind of quiet. Come on, what's the, what's, there must be an issue to work on, or I've got something to moan about, or, right? Can I tolerate the color that may not be as exciting or as terrible and start to develop a taste for what may at first appear more neutral? Can I keep resonance? Can I stay with what's more neutral, what's more quiet, more dispassionate? and really deepen there, and we'll, we'll pick up this theme a little bit more. This word, dispassion, 
can become a great friend. I used to really not like that word very much. But that's that sequence now of seclusion, and seclusion is um, what we're doing here, actually. Seclusion is more like a kind of protection. We physically take ourselves somewhere and spend some time alone. I mean, you're not alone, there's 50 other people here, but alone from our normal ways of engaging. Right? And as we do, we settle. And then there's a kind of another kind of seclusion, the, the chitta viveka, the seclusion of the mind, where we're not just able to go out every time to act out every little passion, right? You know that one, every little passion that gets acted out, like, I'll just go and check my text again. It's one of the latest kind of passions, or I'll just go and, um, I'll just press send and receive again, right? Might be something there for me. There might be a, you know, some affirmation of me or something terrible that's going to go on. But letting that rest, that seclusion, means then that we start to see what normally gets acted out. We start to see the chitta here. We start to feel some of the old residues, the old patternings, the things that we have taken to be me and mine. We'll start to kind of come to be held, to be known, to be cleared, to be clarified, to be loved, to be touched, to be breathed with, to be intimate with. Things can stop. And then there can be a yielding. The chitta, the heart-mind yields like, okay. We had an idea to go outside again together tonight to this spot where last night we stood with our connection to lineage, lineages, planted ourselves in that ground. And tonight we will um, stand there together and we'll weave a reflection of, of dispassion of how we can make that circle, that place, uh, a place where we can practice the beautiful gesture of recognizing I can't do this on my own. <laughs> that one, that separate self that thinks I have to fix all this, where we can bring that gesture of laying down our burden sharing our burden, actually. The gesture of laying ourselves, as one person puts it, in the lap of the Buddha. <coughs> By the word Buddha, we don't necessarily have a religious affiliation contract. We're using that in its broadest sense of whatever is that, wherever we can lay our head in the lap of this sacred, benign, dispassionate, meaning we're not going to be, nobody's going to get busy with us, trying to fix us, knowing where we can lay ourselves. Because while this tradition does not posit, as you know, does not posit a God, Or um, the Buddha wasn't interested in sort of metaphysical speculations about uh, these kinds of things. What he was interested is in suffering and the end of suffering. And from that perspective of that tight one who has seized her life energy and devoted it to this small thought, this small feeling, from her perspective. What lies beyond that tight shell? 
even at first we don't trust that, know that, we might hope, but something from that tight shell, there is a benign otherness that we can start to rest into. From the separate little one, which we become when we seize, we do well to practice the gesture of relinquishing and sharing our burden. So, um, is there anything you will give us as suggestions or offerings for that? One thing we were thinking about, actually, both of us have practiced, and we, we will offer it. You, it's not something you have to do, but we offer it as it's been a close practice or is a close practice for both of us, is that classically the gesture of um, bowing or the gesture of prostration um, is one where, I don't know if you've ever seen in the Tibetan tradition, certainly is this full body prostration where a practitioner, someone who is sincerely devoted to lining up their life force energy with um, sacred functioning, right? It's just the com- restoring oneself to the sacred and all that that means in serving each other. That there's this beautiful gesture of a full body, the full front coming to earth, the arms coming out in front, and a breathing out, relinquishing, giving back our body and our speech and our mind. So we're going to offer this gesture for any of you who, for whom it might be a practice at any point, or may, may be a practice at any point. I know you I think you had something to say about that. I'd like it if you had something to say about it. <laughs> I'm sure you well, I don't know. I'll, I'll find out. I think rather than saying anything, I think I think I'd rather just show one as an example. I think I actually spoke a bit about this last year, didn't I? You know, there's always this um, conundrum or hesitation, as you know, that each time, I think something uh, Catherine touches upon actually very skillful, skillfully, is like, <laughs> as you know, uh, the history of humanity is, you know, each time you show something like uh, uh, as as a as a possibility and then it becomes a form and then you know it becomes it becomes how it should be done or how it shouldn't be done and it and 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 uh, and kind of the spirit goes out of the form yeah uh it's something i have been very aware of uh, having been a monk where you just every day do the same chants and the same bowing and you know you don't feel particularly inspired, you know, because it's just like repetitions. I think we all know that, you know, when we go to church and have to hear a hallelujah. You think it is, doesn't have much to do with a hallelujah, you know, so it's a form. Um, so, uh, uh, but one of the things you notice cross-culturally, uh, what I found interesting, you know, you can go and visit... Uh, Buddhist uh, places, Hindu places, uh, Sufi places, or or um, um, uh, uh, yeah, Christian places, <coughs> and you will always find variation on that theme of of bowing. Uh, 
and uh, uh, and and um, for a, for a long time I was very excited about uh, studying uh, embryology, you know, as part of uh, these 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 um, a lot of the things I was into. So when you begin to look into it, living anatomy at embryology, when you see there is a certain time there in the embryo when the heart, when it first comes in, it actually sits up here. And then you really see how this living embryo, you know, is like it makes this gesture. You know, that's, that is, is like it's a living gesture that is here with us. You could see when we bring the, the, the heart down and in. Yeah, and and uh, and and uh, once I saw that embryologically, then I began to see cross-culturally what is the human intuition. Through, you know, when you see the Christians do their do these kind of things, or in Islam when they do their their bowing, whatever you know, cross cross-cultural, you you begin to see something about uh, a certain gesture, and I'll try to. I'll show uh, a version that uh, uh, I, I have done a fair amount of uh, Korean Zen retreats. I like uh, I like those there for those for those who like it the hard way. <laughs> go Korean Zen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. You don't get one whack with the stick. You usually get six, three on each side. Just yeah, it does, doesn't <laughs> it? <laughs> I have very fun memories of those retreats. <laughs> anyway, one of the things they do is as soon as you wake up, the Korean style, yeah, it's very nice. You, yeah, that's what I like. They do 108 prostrations. That gets you going for the day. And uh, I'll just show uh, uh, one of those as a, uh, uh, as a way because it's a, it's a very, very nice way. I, I still like to do them. That was a suggestion. Thank you. Thank you. It's really beautiful. Appreciate that. So um, let's end uh, with a chant together where we can hold whatever has been in our hearts and the hearts of each other's today and through our life, whatever is our inheritance of what we're carrying till now. We'll chant a little bit and then we'll go outside um, and meet in our circle and um, I'll let you know there what, what you're invited. No one's going to be asked to do anything they don't need to do, but I'll, we'll offer a simple uh, practice out there. So this chant is a, uh, a f- with the words Om Mani Padme Hung, uh, meaning homage to the... Yeah, I know. I was wondering which way to translate it. So, the cl- so literally, it's homage to the jewel in the heart of the lotus, which is compassion. Right? You, this heart where Suvicho was gesturing, this heart where the sensitive heart. The image is like the lotus, and as we practice, it can unfold itself. Right? As the tightening. As we get a little safer, we can, we can unfold. It's like a flower unfolding. And as we unfold this beautiful jewel of compassion, that which um, can resonate with suffering, totally intimate, whether it's arising here or there. It's not separate, but it's not bound by the suffering. It's not shrinking around the suffering. It's not seizing it and going, oh. It's held in this jewel of compassion, which is where it can unfold more the suffering. So the words, Om Mani Padme Hung, and then the syllable, Hri, which is the seed syllable in Sanskrit for, for this quality. So this particular uh, compassion has many aspects. This is one for the tender aspect of compassion. It also has an active aspect, has a joyful aspect. Tonight is the tender aspect for us. So bringing into the chant any, uh, anything that would like to be held in tenderness, tender hands, in tender hands. So it goes like this. <coughs> 
I'll teach you. meet outside in the circle first and uh, establish our route to ground and then we'll be out there with a gesture together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.